Okay. Last week at the end of class, I passed out a little uh, chart, uh, genealogy chart, and uh, that's one that I whipped up uh, uh, the night before at about 11 o'clock at night. So uh, I went back and double-checked it, and sure enough, all the math was not exactly correct on it. I did have to correct one. And uh, but also I modified a little bit. So some of you weren't here last week. I'm going to go ahead and pass out some more. But the one I'm passing out now are different than the ones I pass out next week. Not because God's word has changed in the last week, <laughs> but but this one actually, if you have the one from last week, the number at the bottom of the line on Seth should be 168 rather than what I had. I think I had 138. But if you want one of these new ones, you can take it. It's actually uh, I I just. Uh, formed that one, uh, set that one up a little bit different so that I tried to kind of uh, arrange the names in a proportional way as far as the number of years they lived. Uh, so uh, so it's kind of arranged more proportionally. So if, if you like the new one, keep the new one. If you like the old one, keep the old one, uh, whatever. Just let me <coughs> explain uh, for a moment a little bit about that chart uh, and then we'll get on with the lesson. Um, You'll notice that after each name uh, on the list, there are two numbers. Uh, the first number represents the number of years that individual lived before the birth of their of the son who is next listed in the genealogy. I was going to say the firstborn son. We don't actually know if, if these were all firstborn sons. But for example, with Adam, it says 130 and, uh, 139.30. What that means is he lived for 130 years before he gave birth to Seth. And then he lived a total of 930 years. Okay, that's what those two numbers represent. When you go down to the bottom, there are other numbers. Uh, for example, on Adam, there's the number uh, uh, plus 58. What that means is that he lived for 58 years after the birth of Lamech. Okay, that's just to give you some perspective, uh, some idea. Uh, and Seth, it's, the number should be 168, uh, meaning he lived for 168 years after the birth of Lamech. So... Uh, that's what those numbers represent. Lamech, if you look at Lamech, the number at the bottom there is 595 years, means he lived for 595 years after the birth of Noah. Okay, So that's just to give you some... Uh, that chart just kind of helps me to be able to uh, 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 kind of picture uh, some of those, uh, some of that information that that's maybe a little hard to understand just by reading the genealogy. Okay? So... Uh, We'll pick up from where we left off last week. We we had kind of a short lesson last week, and we didn't get a chance uh, to really get into the meat of uh, Genesis chapter 5, so that's what we want to do today. Uh, we did just a lot of introductory stuff last week. So, uh, do you remember anything that we talked about last week? And please don't anybody say no. 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 <laughs> You weren't here, okay. <laughs> well, I left before we got to talk about the most obvious pattern here you get of all these guys that live so many years, then they die, so many years die, so many years die, until you get down to Enoch. And uh, I'm not. I left before you said anything, so I don't know what you said about it. We actually didn't get there, so oh. hopefully we'll get there today. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. We, we, uh, we just laid foundational stuff. Last week's lesson, I'm afraid, was fairly academic. Uh, that's necessary to do at times, uh, but uh, because the lesson was short, that's about all we got done last week. But uh, Yes, sir? Genealogies do have a purpose. Yes, genealogies have a purpose. What's the purpose of this one, Rick? <laughs> well, this one's a little different, you said, uh, because there's the telescope that can just have other genealogies, and this one is not. Okay. So, did you uh, did you do your homework after I sent you that email this week? <laughs> We had a good discussion after class, and I sent him some uh, sent him an email links to some stuff to look up if he was interested. And I was going to test him on it today, but I don't think I will. Oh, good. We'll talk about that. Great. Okay. Yes. 
was a Christian for some. Some people told me some someone may have calculated the ages of the old human beings with the Genealogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then the, the old ages become the same thousand years. <laughs> the other people argue that the old may be million, more than ten million or one hundred million. Real, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering. So we, some people use Harvard geological calculations and fifty or yeah, well, that is, yeah, that is a big debate, of course. Uh, uh, how old is the earth and, and how long has mankind been on the earth? And uh, that was part of the issue that we were talking about last week was uh, even among conservative Christians and evangelical Christians, there's some disagreement uh, on how we should read and understand this genealogy because if you read it literally, which I tend to do, uh, rather than allegorically, uh, and and as uh, Rick mentioned, also the question of compression, the question of telescoping of the genealogy, uh, whether or not that exists here, that that's all kind of a debate. Uh, but uh, as I explained last week, and and for the sake of time, we won't go into all that. Uh, I do not believe that there's any telescoping of this genealogy. There is, For those of you who weren't here, when we're talking about telescoping or compression of a genealogy, uh, what we're talking about is that in some of the genealogies in Scripture, it's very clear that not all the names are listed, that they'll skip generations or they'll skip names because the purpose for which the generation is listed is to show some connection between the beginning and the end or some comparison between that genealogy and another genealogy. So oftentimes there'll be what is called compression uh, or telescoping of a genealogy. And the question is, uh, is there telescoping or compression of the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5? And, and what I suggested last week is as I read the passage and as I understand it and given the other information that we have uh, from other places in Scripture, there does not appear to be any compression in, in Genesis chapter 5. So I just read it literally and I read the numbers literally. And so... Uh, so as I as I read it, uh, I go back and and you know it looks to me like there were probably about 1,656 years between the creation of Adam and the flood. And uh, and I know that modern science screams at us when we say things like that and insists that the Earth is billions of years old. But I think I'll just let the Lord settle all that out. I have confidence in the Scriptures. I have confidence in the Word of God. And so uh, <clears throat> without wanting to detour and get into all the issues of, of apologetics of science and the Bible and that sort of thing which is a valid thing to do we talked about that when we started our study in Genesis but it's not where I want to focus our energies so I'm just going to take the scripture uh, as uh, as it stands and uh, and uh, as I said some some evangelicals see compression in this cha- in this chapter I don't see any one thing I didn't mention last week <coughs> is we know with several of the names listed, we know for certain that there was no compression. For example, we know that Seth was the immediate son of Adam. And we know that Enosh, Enosh was the immediate son of Seth. And we know that Noah was the immediate son of Lamech. And we know that Shem, Ham, and Japheth were the immediate sons of Noah. So for a number of the names in the genealogy, we know there was no compression. We know that there was no skipping of genealogies or, or of names. So. Uh, and that's one thing we didn't mention last week is one of the reasons why I <coughs> believe that there is no compression in the chapter. So the chart I give you uh, to look at there and the, st- and the position I take as I teach the passage is that I believe <coughs> that the genealogy is complete as it reads, uh, that the numbers are literal, that these guys actually lived this long, and we won't go into all the explanations of how that could be possible. I have no doubt that it was possible. I believe it did happen, and I believe these guys lived as long as they did. And that will affect, of course, our understanding of the genealogy and the things that God is trying to tell us uh, from this genealogy as we read through it. I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned in that. <coughs> so, I don't know if you yeah. mentioned, I mean, it strikes me that numbers are fairly scientific and accurate. You don't compress them in most genealogies in the Bible don't have the numbers. Precisely. So you yeah. think the purpose of the genealogy, the reason they're in here, yeah. show us this. Yeah. 
about the only other place I can think of we have numbers like this are the kings and how many years they rule and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we do run into numbers too, <coughs> excuse me, in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, and we'll wrestle with that issue again when we get to Genesis chapter 11. But you're right on that, and that's one of the things we talked about last week, is that the numbers in this genealogy make this genealogy, <coughs> make this genealogy somewhat different from most of the other genealogies in Scripture. Okay. Well, <coughs> without wanting to go through all of last week's lesson again, then let's move on. But for, uh, <coughs> for the sake of, of remembering what we're talking about, let's read chapter 5 again uh, from beginning to end. <coughs> and... And then I'd just like to talk about several individuals in this list and some of the things that this passage brings out to us. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, He created him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and He blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years... He became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam, that Adam lived were, one, were excuse me, 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years, and he became the father of Enish. Then Seth lived 807 years, excuse me, eight, yeah, 807 years after he became the father of Enish, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enish lived 90 years, and he became the father of Kenan. Then Enish lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enish were 905 years, and he died. Kenan lived 70 years, and he became the father of Mahalalel. Then Canaan lived 800 years and, uh, 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel and had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Thankfully, we're past him, and I don't have to read his name anymore. <laughs> Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the uh, father of Lamech and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay? Now, there's one other background issue that I'd like to address as we're getting started here, because it's very germane to the very first, the first verses of this genealogy. And that is the issue of what we call patriarchal tribalism. Patriarchal tribalism is the culture of ancient time. It's the culture of ancient Israel, and it's the culture uh, pretty much of the entire ancient world. So whenever we're reading in the Old Testament, uh, in particular as we're studying the book of Genesis, time and time again as we go through the book of Genesis, we're going to come up, we're going to face head-on this issue of patriarchal tribalism. Okay? And... And we have to understand, it's kind of like if you're going to be a missionary in another country and you leave America and you go somewhere somewhere else in the world, and you become a in order to be able to function, you have to begin to understand that culture. Okay, 
<clears throat> patriarchal tribalism was, is an entirely different culture from the culture that we live in today. Okay? We, live in a, we live in a highly industrialized, technological culture, a very compartmentalized, segmented culture. This is not to say one culture is superior to the other, but the point is, is to distinguish between them. So, for example, in our culture, uh, as, as you raise your children, kind of the, one of the goals you have in raising your children is to get them to about the age 20 where you can push them out of the house and send them on their way and get them married and get them off starting their own families and doing their own thing. And that's just the way our culture works. But in a patriarchal society, things are radically different from that. Okay? A patriarchal society is focused... Uh, basically is structured around the patriarch. Okay? What do we mean by patriarch? Okay, he's a father figure. Uh, he's the father. In, in a patriarchal culture, he is the oldest living male in the household. Okay? Uh, now, the household is different than a household that we think of today. I am the oldest living male in my household, but I'm really not a patriarch, okay? I'm just dad, okay? Because our culture is different. But in a patriarchal culture, you have the oldest living male in the household, and then all of his sons who are born to him continue to live into his household. And they live in his household for a considerable amount of time, and their children are born, uh, so it would be the grandchildren of the patriarch, uh, their children are born and they live in the household. So, for example, if uh, uh, using my, uh, my parents for an example, if my dad was the patriarch and it were patriarchal culture, instead of when uh, my brother Larry and my brother Jerry and I uh, grew up and got married and moved on and went to other parts of the country and other parts of the world to do our we would have all stayed at home and we would have lived in dad's house and uh, he would have had to have a bigger house and a bigger place, okay? Uh, he might have actually had a compound that we would have lived in, okay? And that's exactly what they did in the patriarchal cultures, okay? In a patriarchal culture, uh, a guy has his sons and he raises them and they grow up and they get married and they have wives and they have children, but they all stay together. And they stay together either until the patriarch dies or until the whole contraption, the whole apparatus becomes so large and so unwieldy that it has to divide or it has to split. And we're going to confront that as we go through the book of Genesis. You're going to see how this happens. Okay? So this is very important for us to understand when we get to the story of Abraham and Lot. We'll see an example of a patriarch's household splitting. Okay? So uh, so at any rate, what we come to understand then is that the, the patriarch, the word patre, it comes from the word patre and the word ark. The word patre is a reference to the family, refers to the family, and the word ark refers to ruling. Okay? So the name patre, the term patriarch, refers to the ruler of the family. One of the things we need to understand about a patriarch is he's, he's really the sovereign over his family. Okay? So when we go in back particularly into ancient Israel and, and then back into the just ancient times period, as, as Israel grew and developed and became a nation and had a king, uh, some of this was modified a little bit, but you still have a patriarchal culture all the way through the Old Testament, although it becomes modified as you go, uh, as you go through the Old Testament. But when you get back into the early period of time here, before the flood, you have... Uh, and, and, and even after the flood to some degree, you have the patriarch. He, he really is kind of the, he's the government in the society. Okay? So, you, so you have the, the patriarch functions basically as the sovereign head in his household. Okay? Remember the household is more than just his immediate. It's his whole extended family that lives together. It may include three or four generations all living together under one patriarch. And he's sovereign. He's the one who, who makes all the judgments and the decisions about resources and who gets what resources and who gets how many resources and all that sort of thing. He makes decisions about what people do, with their, what, what their responsibilities are within the household, who farms, who handles the cattle, who, does, you know, who, builds the, who builds the compound. He makes all those decisions. He even makes, as we go through Genesis, we'll see, he even makes decisions of life and death, who in his household lives and who in his household dies. So we see he's really the government. He's the government 
uh, within this context of this patriarchal culture. Now, as I say, that gets modified later on when you get a king and all that sort of thing. Uh, uh, it, it gets modified to some degree. But, but we need to understand this idea of a patriarchal tribalistic society. Okay. Now, Rick, is it too late for us to do that? Uh, well, I'm not sure we want to do it. I'm saying I'm not saying which culture's best. I'm just saying there's a difference, and we need we need. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes. 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 And one of the reasons is in the more agrarian cultures, it it's very practical. In our highly industrialized culture, it's not nearly as practical. Uh, of, of a structure. Okay, so uh, yes, there are modern day examples of, of patriarchal, uh, patriarchalism. Okay, well, one of the things we need to remember then, I keep bringing this up over and over again, is the book of Genesis was written by Moses in the wilderness as the children of Israel are preparing to enter into the promised land, right? During that 40 year period of time. So the first people to read the book of Genesis are people who are coming from a patriarchal frame of reference. Okay, Keep that in mind. They've come out of Egypt, and of course things got really messed up in Egypt, but even in Egypt they had this patriarchal structure. Okay, Now they're in the wilderness. They still have this patriarchal structure. They think in terms of this patriarchal culture that they live in. That's how they view the world. It's their whole world view. Okay? It's based on this culture that they live in. And so as they begin to hear for the first time or read for the first time Genesis chapter 5, they are doing it from the perspective of a patriarchal culture. Okay? Now just keep that in mind. Okay? So we begin the story in Genesis chapter 5 and, 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 and as we said, we're, we're now entered into the second Toledot of Genesis. We're entered into the second book of Genesis uh, beginning here in chapter 5. The first one, uh, we had the prologue in Genesis 1 and the first part of Genesis 2 and then we had beginning in Genesis 2, we had the account or the Toledot of the generations of the heavens and the earth uh, which included Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, that story. And now we pick up the second Taladot, the second account, which is the book of the generations of Adam. Uh, and he begins again, though, going back and reminding us of the very beginning of the creation of Adam and Eve. Okay, So he says that uh, in the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and He blessed them and He named them man in the day when, he, when they were created. Now, keep that in mind, and let's go on and let's read the next couple verses. Remember, you're reading this as a Jew sitting in your tent out in the middle of the desert in Sinai from a patriarchal cultural frame of reference. Okay? We've just read the first two verses. Now we're reading the next couple. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Now, do you see any similarities between what it says about Adam and what it says about God? Obviously, I'm expecting you to see some. So what do you see? <laughs> what are some of the similarities between what the writer has told us about God and what God did and, and then what he tells us about Adam and what Adam did? Okay, that's the first thing that strikes your attention, isn't it? That one of the things it says is that when God brought man into existence, he did, when He did so, He brought him into existence in His own image. And we talked some about that at the beginning, uh, about God, a man being made in the image or in the likeness of God. Okay, And now we discover that when Adam has a son, now He didn't tell us this about Cain and Abel, but we know it was true about Cain and Abel as well, but He's stressing it about Seth. Because when he's starting to talk about Seth, he's starting, he's starting to talk about this righteous line, okay? which is this line, this theme we're going to follow all the way through the book of Genesis is this idea of the righteous line. And one of the first things he tells us that is just as God, when He brought man into existence, when He created man, He made him in His own likeness. Now, when man has a son, He is made in His likeness. 
Okay? What other similarities do you see? Okay, okay, yeah. Yes, Adam is the patriarch, okay? Now, let me back up in just a second. Well, let's just leave that hanging there. Just say, Adam is the patriarch. Okay? But what other similarities do you see right in the text between God and Adam? He named him, okay? That's the prerogative of the Father. We talked about that whole idea of naming clear back when we were in Genesis 1 and 2, right? We talked about this idea of naming and the significance of naming. And God named Adam, and, and that implies... That, and then Adam named Eve, and they named their children. Okay, all of that, uh, that naming thing, remember we talked about how that implies authority, okay? That when you, when you name something, it implies you have authority over it, okay? You named your children. You didn't wait till they were grown and said, you know, well, you know, just whatever name you want. You, just, you, you didn't do that. You told your children what their name was going to be, okay, right? Because you had the authority to do that, okay? So what we see is that, is that, is that God brings man to existence in His image Man gives uh, man becomes the father of a son in his image. That God names man. That Adam names his children. What other similarities? Besides Seth, what does this passage tell us Adam had? Other sons. Other sons and daughters. Okay, that's parallel to what God did. God created them. He says male and female. Right? You see that similarity? God created them male and female, and Adam had both sons and daughters. What other? Why does it say likeness and image? Uh, I think, uh, as I understand it, I think he's just emphasizing. He's he's saying it two different ways for the sake of emphasis. That's how I understand it. Yeah. There, there doesn't. Uh, he does the same thing with God back in chapter two. It is he made Adam in his likeness, in his image, and it does the same thing. And and uh, and. It, it appears that there's not a significant difference in the meaning of the term. So apparently it's for the sake of emphasis. Yeah. What other similarity? I guess maybe we've got them there. I think we've got them all there. Okay. Uh, yeah, get off the hook now. You guys wondered where I was going, did you? <laughs> Some people do that. I think it continued. I think that's another long Okay, 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 good. Well, so what is my point? If you are... <coughs> A Jew, a child, one of the children of Israel in the wilderness reading the book of Genesis chapter 5 for the first time or hearing it read to you for the first time. And you are sitting there with the, from the framework and the perspective of one who lives in a patriarchal culture. The first thing you realize is that as he's naming this genealogy, you're realizing the first human patriarch was whom? Adam. Okay. But what we discover is that there are significant parallels between Adam and God. And those parallels relate to the responsibilities of a patriarch. So, for example, when a, when a father first has his children, he names them. Uh, there's another thing it mentions in this passage and, 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 and it doesn't mention this about Adam but it will come out later as we're studying other patriarchs as we go through Genesis is the idea of blessing that God bless them okay? this idea of blessing becomes a dominant theme throughout the book of Genesis and it, for whatever reason doesn't happen to mention it here I don't know if Adam didn't bless his son Seth or, or, or what but we do find that one of the things that the patriarchs in Genesis often did was they often blessed their descendants and they did this by faith. 
The book of Hebrews makes it very clear that Isaac blessed Jacob and Jacob blessed his sons and they did it by faith. Okay, So this is a characteristic. And so what we discover from this parallel between God and Adam here at the first part of this genealogy is that yes, Adam is our first patriarch in a human sense. But ultimately, God is our patriarch. And that's what the child, that's what the children of Israel are seeing now really for the first time. They're coming out of Egypt. They're coming out of their environment where their religion has been completely corrupted and polluted by all these Egyptian gods. And God is trying to bring them to Himself and purify them and make them a nation wholly separate unto Him as, he, as we talked about He did at Sinai. And, and so He's going through this process. And one of the things God wants them to understand because they, they really think a lot about this patriarch thing. And he wants them to understand that Yahweh is their patriarch. And what that means is, what that, means is that, that he, we talked about the authority of the patriarch, that God has the authority in your life, is what he's saying to the children of Israel in the wilderness. That God has absolute authority in your life. He gets to decide how your resources are divided. He gets to decide what you do in your life. He gets to decide everything about you. He even gets to decide when you live and when you die. God is our patriarch. Ricky, you were going to say something. Absolutely. Absolutely. If this applies to the children of Israel sitting there in the middle of the Sinai desert, it applies just as well to you and I. God is our patriarch. Well, and that's that whole thing that you were talking about that I was thinking about authority structure. And for me personally, that was a big issue. My father died when I was 17. I didn't even know him. So there was no authority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so... Becoming a Christian, then when I was about 20, I had to learn mm -hmm. authority structure and understand that this exact thing that yeah. God is the ultimate authority, but there's also human authorities that God yeah. has put into place. Yeah. And so, learning that whole thing is, for me has been difficult. Yeah. And I'm sure for those guys, children of Israel coming out of all the pagan gods and all the junk that was in Egypt yeah. was probably a similar difficulty. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we begin to see right here in Genesis chapter 5 a concept or a theme about God that becomes a major theme all the way through the Bible. And this is the theme of the fatherhood of God. Okay, Right here is where it starts, Genesis chapter 5. Now, we know because, because Adam also gave birth to Cain and Abel and other sons and daughters, okay, so we know that God is the father of all mankind, okay? He's the father of all mankind, even of the pagans and the unbelievers, okay? But what's but what's interesting is he doesn't he doesn't emphasize that in the genealogy we looked at in chapter 4, Cain's genealogy. He doesn't emphasize that. Why? Well, because it's the unrighteous line, okay? But now when he's right emphasize when he begins the genealogy of the righteous line with Seth he emphasizes this idea of the fatherhood of God. And the reason for that is, even though God is the father of all mankind, He stands in a unique relationship to those who are His righteous descendants. Okay? To the righteous line. So that, so that for example, uh, Paul quotes in 2 Corinthians, he quotes the passage from the Old Testament where he says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord your God, and etc. Et and, I, and I will be a father to you and you will be my children. Okay? That's a quote from the Old Testament, but Paul's quoting it in Corinthians. So the idea is those who, those who by faith become a part of the righteous line, God's, God is their father in a way that He is not the father of all mankind. Okay? And so as believers, as, as members of the righteous line by faith, we recognize God as our patriarch, as, as our sovereign Lord in a sense in which 
Nobody else, ever, no, nobody else in the world does. We stand in a unique relationship to Him. Now, this idea of the fatherhood of God is very precious in Scripture. And, and, and we talk a lot about God as our Father. And we like to think about God as our Father. Because it's a very intimate and it's a very precious picture of God. But what we need to remember is God is not simply our Father. He is our patriarch. And that carries a whole lot more with it than just the idea that He's our Father. For example, look at your, uh, look at your little chart I handed out. Let me get mine out here so I can see it. And let's take, for example, uh, at random, Jared. Okay. Now, Jared is born uh, several hundred years after Adam, right? Now, we don't know how big Adam's household was. There's a term which we'll use as we go through Genesis uh, that refers to the patriarch's household. There's a term called Bet-Ab, B-E-T-A-B, Bet-Ab or Bet-Ab, okay? That's the father's household. We don't know how large Adam's Bet-Ab was. So we don't know if it went three generations or four generations, and it's, but at some point it would have had to have split. Okay, it would have had to have divided because it would have become too cumbersome to function. Okay, but uh, so at some point it probably split. But maybe after the third or fourth generation, and then the, then when it did split, they geographically they would probably move some distance apart. Uh, how far we don't know, but let's just assume that Jared, when he's 50, 60, 75 years old that he decides that, you know, he's heard these stories about creation from his dad, Mahalalel, but he really wants to get it from the horse's mouth. What does he do? He goes to talk to Adam. Now, is that awesome or what? Is that, I mean, just think about it. If you wanted to really get the story of the American Revolution... You get in your car and you drive, you know, half a day or so over to talk to your ancestor who just happened to be, you know, one of George Washington's colonels in the Revolutionary War. Well, you tell me about it. Boy, wouldn't that make history come alive to you? <laughs> wouldn't that? Okay. Now, look at this. Adam lived until after the birth of Lamech. So of these ten names in the, in, in the line here, uh, Adam lived through eight of them. And they're able to interact with one another. They're able to talk to one another. Okay? Now again, once they got geographically separated, that may have become more difficult to do. But we know that they all basically stayed within that kind of Mesopotamia area, okay? uh, generally speaking. At least we assume they did because that was the pattern after the flood. So we assume they all stayed in that general area of Eden and, and in, that, in that area. And, and so even if they lived months, journeys apart from one another, they lived 900 years. <laughs> What's a few months to travel over the Great Crescent and, and, and visit with Adam and hear from him the story of creation? And, the, and to hear from his own lips the story of the fall. And to hear from his own lips the promise of a seed that would crush the serpent's head. And so what we discover is that there is a line. Now, these guys were all having other sons and daughters and they were off going doing their own thing or whatever. But, but the Holy Spirit traces for us the righteous line here. Now, we don't know if every one of these guys was righteous. Okay? When we, as we trace the righteous line on through, all the way through to Christ, we're going to run across some who weren't righteous, okay? uh, who were not righteous by faith. But it was through them that the righteous line comes. Okay? And we'll encounter a situation like that when we get into Genesis chapter 11. Okay? But as I look at this list of guys, I know Adam was righteous, it's very, pretty clear that he believed the promise of the, of, the, uh, of the seed that would crush the serpent's head. Okay? It's pretty clear he believed that promise and that's why he named his wife Eve. Okay? Uh, all commentators that I know of believe that Adam uh, was righteous by faith. He had a son who replaced righteous Abel. So we know that Seth 
was righteous. And, and Enosh was born to Seth, and after Enosh was born, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That implies for us that Seth was righteous. We don't know anything about Canaan or Melalel, but Jared names his son Enoch dedication. Enoch's mean, name means dedication. So Jared was apparently a man of faith. Enoch, of course, we know was a man of faith. We don't really know uh, about Methuselah in that regard. We do know some interesting things about him. But then we have Lamech, who names his son Comfort because he's looking for the comfort and the rest that will come from the curse. So Lamech is a man of faith. And then, of course, we have Noah, who it says also like Enoch walked with God. And then we have after that Shem. So in this list, we know that the majority of the guys, we have some evidence that they were righteous. I, and I don't know for sure about the others, but, I, but it seems to me that this whole line of guys in Genesis chapter 5 all believed that promise of the seed that would crush the serpent's head. And they were looking forward to that promise. They were all men of faith, as near as I can tell. Okay. Well, so you go down the line and you have this pattern that develops. And then as, as uh, Jim was pointing out, you get to Enoch and there's a break in the pattern. And what is the break in the pattern? And he... Pardon? And he died. And he, is the break. Okay, right. Okay. Uh, which reminds me of something I wanted to point out before we get to Enoch. It says that Adam lived 930 years and then what? He died. Okay. And then it says that, as Jim pointed out, about everybody else until we get to Enoch. Okay. Now think about this. Adam has lived 930 years. And all these other guys that you see on your chart there that have been born after him, you know, they've you know, they've heard about old granddad, you know, patriarch Adam, you know. Some of them lived in his household. Some of them, maybe after they moved out of his household, still got a chance to visit with him and talk with him or whatever. But as time progresses, they see Adam doing what? Growing older, growing older, growing older. And ultimately, finally, Adam dies. Now, we've already had death in the world and presumably a whole lot of it by the time Adam dies. We know, of course, Abel was killed. We know that Lamech killed those enemies of his that we read about in chapter 4. So we know that death uh, existed in the world before the death of Adam. And given the description of the world as we proceed on through this period of time, we find out it was a very violent, evil world. So I assume there was a lot of death. But this is the first time a patriarch dies. This is the first time a man of faith dies. And I... And I have to stop and pause and think, what was the impact of Adam's death on the Sethite line? What was the impact of Adam's death on all these men and their wives and their children? And, and of course, it doesn't tell us, so to some degree it's speculation, but I, but I can't help but think that that their minds went back to that warning of God in the garden. The day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Now, of course, we know he didn't die physically on that day. He lived for 900 and some years after that. You know, However long, I don't know when he sinned in the garden, but he lived for approximately 930 years after that, after he ate of the tree. But he did die spiritually. But the moment he died spiritually, that process of physical death began. And those who watched Adam year after year after year saw that toll. You see it in your life. You see it in the lives of your parents. Some of us even see it in the lives of our children. We see that toll of death increasingly being taken on our lives and the lives of people we love. And it's because of sin. And so the whole Sethite line, you know, all this wickedness is going on in the world around them. All this wickedness is... And, you know, and they're, and they're, they're in this, living in this totally polluted world. And yet there is this man, Adam, this patriarch, who has conveyed to them the promise of the seed. And they watch even in his life the effects of sin until ultimately he dies. Okay. Well, then we get to the seventh, what uh, Hebrews refers to as the seventh generation, or, or excuse me, Jude refers to as the seventh generation from Adam, which includes Adam in, in the seven. Okay? So you get to Enoch, and the pattern is broken. 
And the first question we ask ourselves is why was the pattern broken? Why did Enoch not die? Okay, that's obvious. God has another plan. But from the Scripture, what do we know? What does the Scripture tell us why Enoch didn't die? <coughs> Careful, this is a trick question, by the way. Pardon? He walked with God. Okay, he did walk with God. Is that the reason he didn't die? No, and he was not. Pardon? Okay, it doesn't say here why. Does it tell us anywhere why Enoch didn't die? That's right. He's a man of faith. That's what it says. Hebrews chapter 11. The reason God took him that he didn't die is because he was a man of faith. Now, I want you to remember that. It wasn't because he walked with God. Hebrews doesn't say that Enoch was taken to be with God because he walked with God. Enoch was taken to be with God and did not die because he was a man of faith. Also, because Enoch was a man of faith, he walked with God. Got that? It's important you remember that. Enoch walked with God because he was a man of faith, because he believed the promise. Now, I want you to remember what these guys had. They didn't have this, folks. They didn't have 66 books. If they had anything, they had four chapters. Genesis 1 through 4. Well, they had a little more than that because we know that Enoch was a prophet, so they were getting words from God through prophets, apparently, or at least through one prophet. Okay? So, but basically, they didn't have the Bible. All they had was the promise of a seed who would crush the serpent's head. They didn't, have a, they didn't even have a law, they didn't even have a list of Ten Commandments. Paul makes that very clear in Romans, that there was no law before the law was given. He says, and yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even to those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's offense. Adam sinned because there was a law that he broke. But there was no more law after that up until Mount Sinai. Okay, That's another whole issue. We won't go into that. But, but the point is, that Enoch was a man who walked by faith. He believed God and he believed the promise. And he lived in a, in a crooked and perverse generation. And as we get on into chapter 6, we're going to see how wicked and how crooked and how perverse it was. But it was a very, very, very evil time. And the vast majority of people were not followers of God. In fact, in Jude, we find out what Enoch thought about his generation. In Jude chapter 14, uh, verses 14 and 15, it tells us what the kind of things were that Enoch prophesied. And, in, and I think it's in verse 15, he uses the word ungodly four times in one verse to refer to the people of his generation. And yet, even though he lives in this absolutely perverse and polluted and corrupted generation, here's a guy who just believes God. And he stands for what is true and what is right. And he preaches it. He was a prophet. So he preaches it. And I look at the life of Enoch and I, I can't help it, but I feel rebuked. Because I live in this crooked and perverse generation that I live in that I don't think is anything nearly as bad as what Enoch lived in. And I'm all sorry for myself because I have to live in this crooked and perverse generation. And, and, you know, and so that's my excuse while I don't obey God. And, you know, but I don't have an excuse. And it doesn't matter if everybody else in the world doesn't follow God. It doesn't matter if my wife doesn't follow God or if my husband doesn't follow God. It doesn't matter if my parents don't follow God. It doesn't matter if my children don't follow God. It doesn't matter if my employee doesn't follow God. It doesn't matter if my employer doesn't follow God. It doesn't matter if my government doesn't follow God. It doesn't matter if nobody else follows God. And it actually ultimately gets that bad, doesn't it? 
By the time we get to Noah, it's just Noah and his family and that's it. And yet he walked by faith. And it seems so hard, and it is hard. I'm not going to pretend like it's not hard, but it's simple. Because all they had to do was believe in the seed who would crush the serpent's head. That's all they had to do. And if they would believe that, and if they would let that control their lives, then they would be able to live lives that are lights. And they were lights. And these guys that we're reading about in this, in this genealogy in chapter 5 that you've probably just kind of skipped through most of the times and you've read through Genesis and just read through it very fast, these are guys who stood out as lights in, in a crooked and perverse generation because they believed the promise of God. And if I could just get a grip on that, if I could just get my hands around, get my arms around the promise of God, and the promise that He's going to crush the serpent's head. And that in the end, the good guy wins. If I could get my hands around that and believe that, it would transform my life and I could walk with God. That term, walk with God, is used only three times in the Scripture. It only refers to three, to three situations. Of course, it's used in the New Testament to refer back to Enoch. But... But in the Old Testament, it's only used three times. It's used to refer to Enoch. We'll see in chapter 6, it's used to refer to Noah. And then it's also used in the book of Malachi to refer to the Levitical priests. Now, the term walk with God should be distinguished from the term to walk before God or to walk after God. Okay, Those are terms we also run into, actually a number of times in Scripture. To walk before the Lord or to walk after the Lord. Okay? Now, the terms walk before the Lord and walk after the Lord, as you read them in their context, it's very clear the implication, the sense or the weight of those terms is the idea of obeying God's law, obeying His commandments, obeying His will. Okay? So when it says so-and-so walked before the Lord, the idea is that they, they followed God, they obeyed His commandments, they, they, uh, they, they obeyed His will. Okay? That's the sense. But the term that he walked with God has a different sense to it. It has that sense of intimacy and fellowship. And if you think about it, what does it bring back a memory of? Adam and Eve in the garden. And so here is a guy who is seven generations removed from Adam. He's born about a thousand years after Adam lived. Uh, is that right? Somewhere, uh, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, well, not quite a thousand, but... Uh, but at any rate, 800 years or so after, and, and the world has gone completely haywire and, and it's really an evil, diabolical world. But here's one guy who even in the midst of all of that can walk with God in some sense the way Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. And one day they were out for a walk. I think it's Luther puts it this way. One day they were out for a walk and God says, let's just not go home. Or actually, let's go home. Or let's go home. Let's go home. Well, there's still some more that we want to talk about here in chapter 5 and we're out of time. So let's do that next week. Uh, So I'm not giving you any study sheets for next week uh, because I've given you study sheets for chapter 6 and we're not even there yet. So... Uh, so next week we'll pick it up in chapter 5 and we want to talk some more about Enoch and we want to talk about Methuselah and we want to talk about Noah. So there's a lot more yet to cover. So uh, we'll do that next week.